Uh, my name is Jamie, and uh, I just want to welcome you. If you're, if you're new, if you're visiting, uh, I just want to say hello to you. Thank you for, uh, for being here, and to all of those online, thank you for tuning in. Uh, can we just say thank you to the band just for leading us so well this morning? Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good stuff. It is good to be uh, back home. We've been on vacation for a few weeks, went back east, uh, where it was just rain, rain, rain the whole time. That was awesome. Uh, so, just a few things. I just want to reiterate some of the things that Pastor Chuck talked about at the beginning of service. Next week, um, we're starting a whole bunch of new things that we're really, really excited about, and we hope that you, uh, as the church, are excited about as well. Uh, so, in case you haven't heard, we're actually going, we love this. We love being all of us in the same room together for a change instead of having, like, multiple services is great, and you always want to be a church that needs multiple services. Um, however, we have just absolutely loved being to- all together in one room for the summer, right? You like that, right? So we said we should keep doing that, and so we're going to. And so for the month of September, we're, gonna, we're calling it One Service September, uh, we're actually going to continue to do this. Just as we uh, kind of jump back into the fall season, as we jump back into kind of full-blown ministry in all of our areas, uh, we want to stay together. Uh, And so, I mean, not to be a spoiler alert guy or whatever, but it's probably not going to last forever. Uh, It's going to be full in here. Uh, And so starting next week, uh, we're going to continue to meet at 930 for one service. Here is your job. There are going to be new people, and there are going to be people checking things out, and it's really... When, you, or you, when you're a new person, you don't want to sit here. It's like the spit zone or whatever. You don't want new people getting spat at their first day at church. Uh, and so as the church, it is your job to start to try to fill uh, the sanctuary from the top to the back and go inward. We want uh, newcomers, new people who are just checking out church or Jesus. We want them to feel comfortable uh, and welcomed. And so it's going to be a lot of fun for the month of September. And we start a new series called Faith Foundations next week. Uh, and we've also got some other fun surprises that I'm not going to say anything about because you have to come here. Even though it's a long weekend, okay, the boat can wait, the cottage can wait, be here next week. We're going to unlaunch some, uh, some really fun stuff, and uh, it's going to be awesome. Okay, that's it. That's the PSA for today. Um, we have been, throughout the entire uh, summer, uh, going through the book of Judges, which has been interesting. Uh, it's like, the book of Judges is like its own HBO show. Uh, there's just like genealogies and histories and a whole bunch of like brutal action sequences. Uh, it's been a wild ride, right? The book of Judges uh, is a bit crazy. It's brutally violent. It's this difficult book for us to find ourselves in. And so the book of Judges, we've been going, this is our 10th and final week through the, the book of Judges. Uh, I'm going to be talking through basically the last five chapters, chapters 17 to 21, and I'm going to read them in full right now. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't dare do that to you. I just heard some of you, like, perk up. Uh, get out my pillow. But this, this book is, uh, it's really, it's, a, it's pretty crazy, right? I mean, you've got stories about ladies driving tent poles through men's heads, You've got, like, stories about obese king with their guts coming out. You've got these crazy, crazy stories. And we're left to wonder, like, 
okay, so we've, we've heard about Othniel and Ehud and Deborah, who are these people who win these individual battles, which kind of help Israel succeed for a time. And then you've got Gideon and Jephthah, who kind of start off good, and then they make these horrific decisions that uh, set Israel back a number of years. And then you've got Samson, who really like, had no regard for God at all, and his story ends in mass murder. So that's fun. So what? Like, what does this even have to do with us? And all throughout the book of Judges, we see basically the downward spiral of humanity. It's basically this vicious cycle that we've talked about before, uh, where basically Israel, the nation of God, God's people, they mess up. They sin. And so enemies take over. And so then they beg God again for mercy, and he helps them out. He, he forgives them, and he basically puts these people in place, which kind of help them with their salvation to regain their land and their identity. But then they sin again, and it's this vicious cycle of sin and supplication and salvation and sin and supplication and salvation over and over and over. And you begin to think, like, how, how did Israel even get through that? Well, it's only by the grace of God. Because there are these crazy, crazy stories that happen. And so this was a time before Israel had kings. That, uh, Israel had never had a king before because they were supposed to understand that God was their king. He was the one who would rule and reign in their lives. And so eventually they have these people called judges, which are not like public officials like you and I think. These people called judges were like regional military leaders. That would help lead Israel for a time. But time and time again, we just see the downward spiral of humanity. And really, that's kind of what Judges is going to show us. And so I'm going to talk about chapters 17 to 21, which, like I said, are some of the most, like, brutal chapters. Uh, Chapters 17 and 18 tells the story of, of Micah. And Micah basically builds a personal altar to an idol and fills it with a bunch of like gold and silver and stuff. And then this small um, band of people from Israel come and they steal all his stuff. And then they go and murder an entire city and take all their stuff. Great. And then uh, chapters 19 to 21 is probably the worst of them all. And I'm not going to read the story. I'll save you and Holy Spirit to deal with that on your own time. But it's basically about a, a case of sexual abuse that turned into the very first civil war of Israel. This is what the book of Judges leaves us with. Like, so what have we learned throughout this summer? What is this book trying, trying to tell us? What does it have to do with me? What does it have to do with you? What does it have to do with us and the church? And maybe more importantly, what does this have to do with Jesus? It's, it's, it's wild for us to try to watch this downward spiral of humanity, this, this kind of constant uh, pang of self-destruction in humanity. And so I want to talk about judges today, and specifically these last five chapters, really in the whole context of the biblical story, of God's redemption story of his people. So I want us to think about judges in that whole context. And here's the first thing that I want us to know, is that kingdoms without kings 
create chaos. Can you, can you say that with me? Kingdoms without kings create chaos. So what is a country or a city or a kingdom or a space that has no ruler, has no guidelines? What is it that if it has um, no, no accountability or structure or process, it's chaos. Any country that doesn't have those things ends up in chaos. And so that's kind of really what the book of Judges is showing us, is that when a kingdom doesn't have a king, chaos ensues. It's just insanity. And so that's what we see in Judges, this downward spiral of lawlessness and disarray and turmoil when people are left in charge. And so that's where our text from Judges is going to come today. And I'm not going to read all five chapters. I'm not going to read these horrific stories that are inside. I'm going to read one verse that happens to occur four times in the last five chapters of Judges. This is what it says in Judges 17.6, 18.1, 19.1, and 21.35. It says this. In those days, referring to the time of the Judges, in those days there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Let me read that again. Because this really sums up those last five chapters of Judges. It starts with it in, verse, or in chapter 17, and it's the very last line of chapter 21. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's because kingdoms without kings create chaos. And we've seen multiple examples of people who follow their own path and basically lead the people of Israel into disorder, into chaos. Um, Do you guys remember when you were kids? Some of you maybe don't remember when you were a kid, but some of us do. I'm barely there. Uh, And so I did have to talk to my mom and dad to kind of uh, remember the story. But do you guys remember playing King of the Castle? When you were young. So I grew up in Atlantic Canada. We get a lot more snow than you guys, although it's way colder here. And so King of the Castle in Atlantic Canada for us was we would get these gigantic snow drifts. And King of the Castle is basically all the kids would try to race up to the top of the snowbank and be the last man standing, right? And so other kids would climb up and you would push them down and you would try to maintain your spot on the top of the mound on the top of the castle. Uh, and so when I was, um, when we would always go to my grandmother's house in Moncton, New Brunswick uh, for Christmas, and I was the youngest of 10 uh, grandchildren. And so I was the smallest, I was the youngest. And so when me and my cousins would all congregate on these huge snow piles that would be beside my grandmother's house, we would play king of the castle. And as the smallest of the 10, like, I would never make it to the top, ever, because they were, like, 10 years older than me, some of them, and so I had no chance. And so there was this one Christmas where I thought, I, I've got to find a way. I've got to find a way to prove myself to my cousins that I can at least once be the king of the castle. And so we all got dressed, and we all went outside, and we all congregated at the bottom of this, this huge snow pile. It looked, these aren't us. This is just what it looks like for those of you who can't remember. Um, 
And so we, we made our way around, and immediately all the boys, they would just begin to wrestle at the bottom of the mound. And they would all try to climb up, right? They would all try to fight their way to the top of the mound, to the top of the castle, uh, to get and, and become the king of the castle. And so what I decided to do is that I was going to go around the back, and I was going to slowly try to creep up to the top while all my cousins began to fight and vie to be the king for the day. And eventually, after a few minutes, I made my way to the top. And I would look down very briefly at my cousins and my older brother who were just nearing the top. And they were clawing and they were fighting and they were pushing and they were punching and all those kinds of things. And I, for a brief second, planted my feet on top. And I raised my hands and in, in, in absolute victory for about two seconds. And then my female cousin, Allison, two hands me from behind and I go face first at the bottom of the mountain. But guys, I did it for like two seconds. And so uh, Allison did not last very long up there either. Uh, and so... The, one of the boys, I can't even remember who, it's irrelevant at this point, made it to the top of the castle for a longer period, and so they win the game and all that kind of stuff. And so my brother was not happy that his younger brother made it to the top. And so he, he said, I'm going to get you. And so the next morning, which happened to be Christmas morning, my brother gave me my Christmas gift. And I will show you what he gave me now, a black eye. Yep. That, you can't really see it because this is like, I don't know, 1990. Um, no, it would have been like 92. I think I was like 10 or 11 years old. Don't do the math. Um, but that's what he gave me. He gave me a black eye for Christmas. What a guy. Uh, and so that was king of the castle. Just for a brief moment, I got to, uh, to be king. But here's the thing is that when there's no king at the top, things are chaos right? When there's nobody at the top who's claiming to be ruler, like all it is is just chaos at the bottom as people are trying to climb up the top to try to get to that peak, to try to get that power or whatever it is. And in our lives, there are people all the time who are vying for that spot in our lives. And some of us even just try to become our own ruler. We try to become our own king. And we don't let anybody or anything physical or spiritual, become our king. We don't allow it to give any rule or reign. And that is really what was happening in the book of Judges. It was absolute chaos because kings without kings create, kingdoms without kings create chaos. And it's really, it's not just the book of Judges. In the next book, the people finally beg and beg and beg the high priest to give them an actual king. Uh, and so really throughout the rest of the Old Testament, kings are in place in Israel. And it starts with Saul, and he messed up. He was a little bit nuts. And then there was David, who ended up cheating on his wife. And then there was Solomon, and there's time and time again, there's these imperfect people who sit in the place, who sit in the throne of the kingdom of Israel. And they just never really get it right. Now, there are some bright spots and there are some great things for us to learn, especially through King David. But they just never seem to get it right, even with a physical king in place. 
And so eventually it comes really what we know as the very end of the Old Testament. And then there's 400 years of silence. Nothing for 400 years. We call this the intertestament. It's the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Where there's no prophets. People weren't learning anything new about God or about society or about their nation. It was just utter silence from God. People continued to do their rituals. People continued to go to the temple. And the people are crying out to God. They're they're waiting for this Messiah, the once and for all king, to come into play because they feel abandoned and lost and there are no prophets saying anything new. Until a poor teenage girl gets a visitation from an angel. And this angel basically tells her, you are going to give birth to a king, to the Messiah. And of course, we all know where the story goes from here. After 400 years of, of radio silence, of white noise, this poor Jewish teenage girl gets a message from an angel, and she gives birth to Jesus eventually, and Jesus grows up learning in the temple, and he ends up starting his own ministry when he turns 30. And for three years, he teaches and he preaches and he heals, and he sees, he puts miracles in people's life, and he changes the script on what it means to live in a kingdom. He completely changes everyone's perspective on life. And so this, this Messiah is born in the bleakest of conditions, and through his life and his ministry, his miracles, his healings, his teachings, his preaching, and his love, he eventually makes a claim that he is has this um, relationship with God the Father that no one else has, and that he might be the Messiah. And the Pharisees and the people hear this, and they're like, I don't like that. And so, long story short, they send Jesus to trial, and we all kind of know what happens, but there's this really important dialogue that happens in, in the trial of Jesus. A unique moment happens when all the accusations are coming in and they're wanting uh, him to be killed. Now, Jewish people, their form of execution was through stoning. And for whatever reason, that was not good enough for the Pharisees and for the religious leaders. And so they decide to take him to a Roman governor because if they see him guilty, they give him the most brutal punishment and most humiliating punishment available, which is called crucifixion. And so, he's put in front of a Roman uh, governor named Pontius Pilate. And this is what happens in John 18, starting at verse 33. It says, Then Pilate went back to his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. And he says, Are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus replied, Is this your own question or, or did the others tell you about me? He kind of, Jesus kind of avoids the questions and asks another question. He does that a lot in his teaching. And he says, am I a Jew? Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for trial. So why? What is it that you have done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so 
you are a king? I'm slightly confused. And Jesus responds, you say that I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. So Jesus is like, yeah, I'm a king, but not in this realm. In other words, I'm not really a threat to you from your understanding of what a king is. What is truth, Pilate asks. And then he went out again to the people and told them, he is not guilty of any crime. In other words, as long as Jesus isn't this political uh, leader who's stirring up a rebellion to take over Rome, Pilate doesn't care. As long as like his kingship, Pilate's kingship, he's a Roman governor under a, an emperor, but as long as his domain, his own kingdom isn't threatened, I don't care. And we even get the sense that Pilate accepted him as a king, but not as truth. And that's so important because some of us want to make King Jesus ruler and reigner in our lives. But sometimes it's hard to wrestle with the truth. And so here's the thing is Jesus, Jesus is the king that you didn't know you needed. He certainly is to Pilate here. Jesus becomes the king that Pilate didn't know that he needed. He says that my kingdom is not on earth. It's in a spiritual realm. And so Jesus is the king that the Pharisees didn't know that they needed. He was their Messiah, even though they didn't want to admit it because they didn't like the, cir- the circumstances and the situations surrounding Jesus and his teaching. The crowd who was shouting, crucify him, crucify him. He was the Jesus. He was the king that they didn't know they needed. And so when we, like those in the book of Judges, we have no king, no, no order, no guide, no purpose, no direction. Chaos is evident. <clears throat> because Jesus came with no fanfare. He, he didn't come with a, a palace and gems and jewels or political power. He didn't come in riding on a white horse. He was the king that we didn't know that we needed until we lay down our lives and surrender our own plans and our own purposes to King Jesus. It's kind of hard to inherit this kingdom that he has for us. And so he gives us a new definition of what a king is. What is a king anyway? All of us, even us today, we have trouble taking our minds off of what it looks like to be a king or a prime minister or a president or a dictator or whatever the case may be. We have, we have trouble taking our mind of what that looks like and how it is applied to Jesus today. But his kingdom is not of this world. And so unlike an earthly king, Jesus wasn't surrounded with security, right? He had to learn a trade to help support his family. Unlike an earthly king, Jesus wasn't born in sanitary conditions. He was born among animal muck. Unlike an earthly king, Jesus didn't grow up in wealth. He was born to a poor family. Unlike an earthly king, Jesus wasn't born with an army. He had to ask individuals to come and follow him. And unlike an earthly king, Jesus' inauguration as king, he didn't come riding on a white horse. He came riding on a donkey. And so, when we see the book of Judges... And we see, especially in these last five chapters, this downward spiral of where humanity is and finds itself. 
When we see where the people have gone without a king in their lives, when they reject Heavenly Father as their spiritual king, and they try to do things their own way, God says, okay, we need to figure this out. And so he sends himself in the form of a human, the incarnate God, God in flesh into his son, Jesus, and sends him to earth to try to live like people, to try to understand what's going on in our minds. And he has this incredible ministry, and of course, eventually he's put to death. And three days later, he defeats sin and death and the enemy by being raised again and sitting at the right hand with the Father. So we need to get our minds out of what this earthly king looks like and place Jesus on the throne as our spiritual king. He wants us to be like him. Other kings in this world, they know that we can't be like them. They have the power and we don't. That's the difference between an earthly king and a spiritual king is that our our kings and our politicians and all these people they recognize that we can't be like them until we sit in their seat. And some of us will never, most of us will never afford the opportunity to do that. And some of us probably don't want it. But instead, we have a king who says, why don't you take the same attitude as me? Why don't you live like me? Why don't you follow me? Why don't you walk in my footsteps? And this is exactly what happens in Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, he wasn't clinging to his kingship in heaven. Do we have the, the text for this, Jordan? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges Kings don't give up their divine privileges. They try to stay a king as long as they can. When you are at the top of the snowbank, you do whatever you can to not give up that position. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave. Usually the slaves are the people who work for the kings. He was born as a human being and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Right? Earthly kings aren't obedient to anyone. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God, Father God, elevated him to the, the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, above all earthly kings. And that every name of Jesus should, or sorry, every na- uh, sorry, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So it, it's, it's not just earthly kings It's all kings everywhere, even the realms that you can't even imagine yet. Every every uh, the name of Jesus should uh, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, in Judges, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right. In their own eyes. But through this text, we see that God wants to walk with us. He knows us by name. He has created us. He knows every part of your being, of who you are. And he doesn't want to just sit 
in a, on a throne and watch you live your life and not participate in it. He wants every part of you and he wants to walk alongside you in all the situations and circumstances that we're trying to change, that we're trying to deal with in our lives, ourselves, without a king, without, without guidance, without support. Jesus wants to walk alongside us. He wants us to do what is right in his eyes because he came to earth and he has shown us how to do it. And so here's the tension. Here's the hard thing about making Jesus king is that if he isn't the king of everything, he's not the king of anything. This is where the tension lies for us. Because most of us, we like the idea of Jesus being king. It's a great concept We'll let him rule and reign in our lives, but there are certain things that we don't want to give him. There are, there are certain things we don't want to bring up during prayer time. There are certain people in our lives who we don't want to bring into that circle. But if Jesus isn't the king of everything in your life, he's not the king of anything in your life. Full surrender to King Jesus is a hard thing, but it's necessary if we want to experience the full inheritance of the kingdom of God. If we want to experience what it is that God has in place for our lives, we need to be willing to surrender everything that we have. We need to give up our, our, our finances and our vocation to Jesus, our family and our relationships. Because Jesus doesn't want half of our heart. He wants all of it. He doesn't even want 98%. He wants 100%. He wants all of it. And so when we follow King Jesus he wants all of us, not just some of us. And that's difficult sometimes. Don't, don't hear me miscorrectly. So if Jesus isn't the king of your whole life. He's probably not the king of anything. He wants full surrender from us because he's good and we can trust him. And the good things that will come from our lives when we fully surrender them, our, our lives to him, is things that we can't even imagine. The, the situations and the circumstances that take place in our lives that sometimes we don't know how to control. We don't know the chaos around us. But Jesus wants to help with that chaos in our lives. And we want to give him our entire lives so we can experience the full inheritance of the kingdom. Some of us are living our lives like the nation of Israel did in, in the, the book of Judges. Right? We, we, we know God's law and we know all the things about him. We know that he's good. We know that he, he likes us at least. But we're not quite willing to surrender everything we have over to him. This is why Jesus had to come for the people in the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. Because they were doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. Sometimes a thing that you do that you think is right in your own eyes might not be the way that God sees it. And when we fully surrender our lives to him, he can help us see the ways to navigate the situations and the circumstances and the relationships and the finances and the jobs and the, and the family stuff and the kids stuff and the relationships. He can help us see through all of those things. So I would love to just pray for some of those people today. And I know that there, is, there are people in here, I'm not going to name names, who 
who I, when I see them, I see a fully surrendered life to Jesus. And I see how they respond to negativity. I see how they respond to circumstances in their life. And you can just see God moving and working in their life. That's what I want for my own. And sometimes I have to search my own heart and say, God, am I fully surrendered or have I just given you 99.8%? Are there things in my life that I have yet to give up and surrender? And I, I don't know sometimes, but I constantly want to put Jesus back on the throne and say, God, just take it all. Because I want to do what is right in your eyes. I want you to be king. I want you to rule and reign over my heart and my life and my family and my kids and my wife and all of those things. And so I'm not going to get you to like raise your hand and anything like that. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. And I'm going to do the same thing. This is for me just as much, if not more, than, than you. But just ask yourself, Jesus, have I given you... of who I am? Have have I seated you at the throne of my life, or am I just trying to wiggle on the edge of the chair? Jesus, we ask you to identify the things in our life that we have not fully given up to you. Lord Jesus, we want to experience the fullness of who you are in our life. We want to experience the full inheritance of the kingdom of God. So God, when we think about you, let's not think about earthly kings. Let's think about the spiritual king. The king not of this earth, of a realm that is beyond our own comprehension. Who has the entire universe in the palm of his hand. That's who I want to put my trust in and my faith in. So God, reveal to me, reveal to us the things in our life that we may not have fully surrendered to King Jesus. Because our time on earth here is short, but it's eternity that I want to be with you. So God, search our hearts. Speak to us. May we make you the King of Kings in all that we do in all that we say, in every circumstance and situation that comes our way, may you become the king of kings in all things. And all of God's people agreed and said,